all of a sudden, as the brand new door opportunity opens, a door opens these opportunities to create something from water that is not a fountain, but more like a sculpture. You don't even know for the first time what you are looking at, and it's very mesmerizing, and it catches your attention and holds you there, and you are staring at it till you understand, oh my God, I'm looking at fire. Seeing like how water can be tamed, how water can actually be forced to act almost like light, uh, or moving other particles are moving in the same direction at the same time. Welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast and hello. We're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators and the backstage masters. My name is Anna Rob, And my name is Anna Aguilera. On this episode, we will be talking to Peter Kopik about special effects related to water and fountains. Peter is the Director of Design and Choreography at Wet Design, originally from Hungary, currently based out of Los Angeles. Wet specialises in what they would call high-tech performance arts. Peter thinks he's a lucky guy and we think we are lucky to have him on the show. Peter, welcome. Oh, thank you. Well, I feel honoured to be on the show. So we're both uh, water, fountain, water fountain geeks and wet, wet fans. So tell us about you, Peter, and your career. Well, uh, I'm actually trained as an architect and I tried to walk like one for a while, but then I ended up with fountains. So I used to work at Skidmore Owings and Merrill right after graduation in Chicago and one day I stumbled into this launch seminar about water features. And at that point, uh, just being in the United States for a couple of years, my English wasn't that good. And for me, water features were like toilets and drinking fountains. The last thing that you want to hear about while you are having lunch. <laughs> but uh, they had actually a shortage on people because there were so many uh, deadlines at that point so people couldn't spend their lunch as promised at the seminar so they were actually running around finding seat counts basically like people to sit in the sit in them and I was like okay fine I'll do so and uh, the seminar started with the lights turning off and the projectors going on and I got introduced to a mind-boggling world of something that I never expected before and I told to myself like I'm not leaving this room till I talk to the person who gave this class because I want to work for this company and 22 weeks later I did so that's the short history of how I ended up here. It was wet that was doing that presentation who was doing that presentation? I completely forgot to say that it was Claire Kahn, the leader of the design group at that point, who was giving the presentation at Skidmore Owings and Merrill, yes. That's amazing. And who's wet? Because we know, but probably most people know. But what design, what do you guys do? You know, WET is actually a very interesting company. Now, as for the name, the name is actually an acronym. It stands for Water Entertainment and Technologies. And it is also a little pun because the three leaders who actually established the company back in 1983 were part of WED, which was Walt, Walt Disney Imaginary. So when they separated and established this company, they just wanted, wanted to give the homage to WED and they called it WET, and then came up with the acronym of Water Entertainment and Technology. So having said that, the company specializes in water feature, and we're not only working with water, we're working with all aspects of elements. Like water, we work with fog and ice, and uh, other elements, we work with fire and light and projection and whatever comes in our way, basically, to play with. That's amazing. 
what makes um, working with water special? Like why were you attracted to the this aspect of, you know, it is architecture in a way, it's a, it's a design aspect, but it's working with a particular medium. What, what makes water special? Wow. Uh, I have to go back to that initial presentation that I witnessed back in 1995. What caught me was uh, how wet related to the medium in a completely different way than people usually do. You know, you associate fountains with uh, little Roman statues being into water and stuff like that. And although you know you know water, I mean, you take showers hopefully every day and drink it. But other than that, people's idea of fountains, or used to be actually, uh, in the end of the last century, was very minimal of what fountains looked like. And then here I am watching the presentation about using water as architectural finish, for example, like how to create a membrane of water just to maintain reflection without ripples and call it a water skin and how to set up barriers from the edge of the buildings instead of a handrail to separate people from the the gap and uh, public space. And actually, there was, there, there was a project uh, in Singapore where uh, the Ritz-Carlton Hotel was using a water barrier, not allowing people to go to the edge because right below was the recreation zone where people were bathing and they were dressed accordingly. And right above them, people were checking in and it would be very insensitive to allow people to look down on them. So they put in a very beautiful reflecting surface that reflected the vista for the people who arrived, but didn't allow them to see the people who were actually just relaxing below. So there were, there were these new aspects of how to use water and what to use water for. And that's just the architectural side of it. And the other side that blew my mind is how you can use it for entertainment, how you can actually create a choreography with it and how you, uh, how you set up a show. And, you know, when I mean, you're looking at a fountain, an old, a fountain in, a, in an old way, you were just looking at water trickling out from something and it's very refreshing and very meditative, but you never, or I actually never thought before that you can use it for entertainment. So this company basically brought forth the idea of uh, doing so in, in so many different ways. And we pioneered many things that I never ever thought were possible before. And, and, you know, to be honest, uh, it, it created a new uh, industry. There are so many followers around the world, and I'm happy to say they are amazing. So there are, there are so many great examples now that have uh, been established uh, based on what we started to pioneer. So how, how did fountains evolve from that boy peeing in the fountain or the pool that you were talking about onto the Dubai fountain? Oh, <laughs> that, that's kind of a big jump. <laughs> that's a huge jump. I mean, again, uh, three people separate from Walt Disney with the idea of, of uh, creating projects that were different uh, uh, from uh, water presentations from before. They, their, their very first project was actually a, a giant leap because they were contracted by a development company in Dallas. And uh, the company wanted to have a fountain that also can be turned off to the point of not even being existent because they wanted to use the public uh, plaza for uh, public gathering. So the idea came to eliminate the pool itself and just have the fountain come directly from the pavement. And the idea, you know, came from the Romans. They used the uh, open joint pavements back uh, in their bathhouses where water just like disappeared under the floor. And there was actually a pool under the floor, but you didn't see it because you were walking on pavement above it. So this idea was uh, somewhat revamped in a way uh, of using it. 
but it was brand new at the time for uh, using it in a public space in the United States in architectural uh, environment. And uh, one step further was not just only having water percolate through, through the pavement, but also giving an identity or controllability for every single nozzle. It was a large grid, and imagine a, a large grid with every nozzle specially adjustable for each of them. And you could create any kind of sculptural statement, very slowly morphing or very quickly jumping. So it could be very kinetic or very subdued and, and almost romantic. So all of a sudden, this is the brand new door uh, opportunity opens. A door opens these opportunities to create something from water that is not a fountain, but more like a sculpture. So the very first project was, again, a leap from where fountains were before. And from there on, the realization of this could be used for entertainment. This could be used for creating a new kind of way of uh, uh, offering entertainment to the public led to uh, controlling the nozzles in a separate way and making them even robotic. So fast forward to 1998, when we opened the Bellagio, uh, and uh, over there, uh, we utilized the first underwater robots that were able to move the nozzles and create all kinds of very beautiful melodic shapes out of water and um, make the fountain for all intents and purposes then. So in terms of technology now, are you always constantly looking to find new ways to control the water? And is that done with like a team to the actual mechanics of that designed in-house with you guys or you work with companies to design the nozzles and the way things are controlled? Like how does that work? Oh, well, uh, we are very proud to say that everything happens in-house. As a matter of fact, a side note, because all of our manufacturing happens in-house when the COVID uh, epidemic uh, uh, started, we basically offered our services to Los Angeles and started to create shields because we didn't, we weren't relying on uh, outside manufacturer sources and we were able to, you know, some of our equipment manufacture face shields for uh, people who needed it. So not everything happens in-house. That's the short, short answer. We have a large facility that we call the playground. Um, and that has different components. One of them is a huge laboratory and a mock-up studio that we can utilize for any idea that we want. So it happens that we have uh, a thought and then we just need to go over there and then talk to the people who say usually that you are crazy. But yeah, okay, let's see what this is going to look like. <laughs> and, and, and then we look at it. And sometimes it's, yeah, it's like, mm, no. And sometimes it's like, wow. That's something new that we can uh, play with. And it, it is, it's definitely interesting. So playing is part of the culture, yes. And when you work with a client, what is your kind of design and choreography process? And, and how do you sell a story through your, your technology and through your, your, your designs with the client? Like, how does that work? Okay, so most of the time the clients have their trust in us to know from the beginning what our vision is for the fountain, including choreography and including song selection. Uh, there are some times when um, a person who approaches us is a visionary and they have their own thoughts and own vision, basically of what they think the fountain should do. So they already come in with, uh, with an idea. And in many, in many cases, uh, then it's a collaborative effort of in, uh, figuring out what the fountain can do and what they imagine the fountain to be. But the choreography is uh, part of the initial thoughts. We always think about the fountain not as a, a 
bunch of equipment that we're putting on the ground, but more about what is what is the display that it's going to offer us and how we can play with it and what aspects are appropriate for the site and uh, what are what aspects are appropriate for the people who are going to observe it. So you redesign, redesign the fountain completely differently, for example, for a public park in India versus a shopping center here in the United States. So it's all driven by uh, the area of the planet of the earth or or the culture that we are putting the fountain into. The idea and the choreography always come together, uh, being born together, and uh, they're always very sensitive to where they are going to be installed. And how do you use water and everything else that you use to tell that story? Or is there a story or how, how do you engage with the audience? That's very interesting. We are talking about stories lately a lot. And um, story is the guiding. It, it's almost like the backbone behind everything. So we concluded basically that what appears to be effortless usually have a story behind it. Even if you don't know it, it very much helps that it's anchored in something. And many times, actually, clients are very interested in the story of how the content came alive and what brought the fountain to be uh, as it uh, came out. How to engage in a story? We always look at where the client's initial ideas, and then we relate. We try to relate to it and try to imagine ourselves watching this fountain in the future and then see how people are uh, going to use it. And then we are trying to see uh, how a story could grow by itself and become its own guiding force. It's very vague to talk about stories because it has so many different ones and some of them just gives itself, almost like presents itself. And sometimes it's more uh, derived from a, a deeper understanding of where the fountain is going to be. Many times the story is someone's experience or, or it could be intention that we would like to give as a message to the people who are watching the fountain. They are always different. There is no one story that we always want to tell. Uh, it, the story has to be very personal. It's almost like a suit tailored for the fountain and the client and the people who are going to experience the fountain. You know, you add things like projection on water or you've now got fire effects and, you know, does a client come to you and say, I want the projection and I want the fire? Or you hear them and say, okay, like in your context, we could do, and I know that's largely probably budget driven, but, uh, you know, when do you start putting those elements on top of what your, the the base product of, uh, you know, fountain design? I mean, client people usually come to us uh, because they have seen what we've done. And obviously, they have their own thought, like, I would like to have something similar to such and such. And I've seen fire over there, so I would like to have fire here too. And there is nothing wrong with that. We can comply uh, unless uh, it would be very inappropriate or the fire would be so expensive that it would take away from the possibilities of creating a very strong water feature instead. And then we have to introduce the idea of actually spending more money on water would be more effective to create something uh, more imaginative. But as for how the, how these element comes in, it's again, it's, 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 uh, it's the end result. It's always coming up to who are the fountains built. And I'm not talking about the client who's going to pay for it. I'm talking about the patrons who are going to visit it. And those are the client's clients. And if those people are happy, that makes the client happy. And that makes us definitely happy. So it's always going back to what those people would like to see. And uh, 
always the newer things are definitely the the more catching and the more interesting although they are not necessary but to reinvent these kind to reinvent um our approach we started to add uh, and investigate more and more new ways to introduce these elements because again fire could be fire as you match a uh, match a as you light a match or it could be something that is uh, sandwiched between two glass panels and water is caught coating the glass panels and all of a sudden you see the flames uh, obscured between the two and you don't even know for the fir first time what you are looking at and it's very mesmerizing and it catches your attention and holds you there and you are staring at it till you understand oh my god i'm looking at fire and my friend is on the other side of the glass looking at me and we are actually looking at each other through this sandwich of fire and water so there are so many ways to introduce these elements and lately what we were doing with projections are someone uh, suggested this idea and, and and we tried it and uh, the first time i looked at it i almost was like a, a three-year-old again because what we are trying to do with projection right now is uh, give this almost disillusion of water actually cascading upwards uh, projecting water back on itself uh, this is a very interesting new uh, approach uh, where we are trying to manipulate what are you looking at are you looking at the water coming down or are you looking at water projected on itself we we started uh, playing with it at a project that we just opened last year in singapore and that is a great success at the uh, jewel uh, at, the air, at the airport i know that one yeah i've seen pictures i haven't seen it yet but i've seen pictures the project is a great success. What, what was more successful for us that it opened the floodgate for many new ideas of what we can do. And actually, there is a project coming up next year that I'm not supposed to talk about because it's very confidential, but it is going to be, it is going to be mind blowing. I mean, like we are like kids in a playground. It is amazing. The new interesting ways to play with projection and play with water that we stumbled upon are like amazing. So I'm, I'm very excited about it and um, can't wait to see what it, what it's going to be in real life. It must, it must be so exciting to be able to like be pushing those boundaries as you discover those new technologies and have, and even just to have a place called the playground. And I, I want to know who the person is where you like one day you decided, okay, we're going to put fire and water together. So who was the lucky pyro guy that you called up and said, come and join wet, right? Yeah, this is an interesting part of the conversation because the, <laughs> I was there at the birth of it. Actually, we have a, we have someone, Jim Doyle, who is an Academy Award winner for his uh, liquid nitrogen effects. And he is our pyrotechnician here, in-house fire guru. And I remember being on a, on a meeting with a uh, local native tribe here in California when I designed a fountain for them. And they were saying that in the middle, they would like to have water set on fire. And I was like, uh, okay, those are the opposite elements and that's not going to happen. But I was I trying to try and politely educate them that mm, no, don't think about it. So I came home and I'm uh, came home back to the office and I'm telling this to Jim and like okay, this is the crazy idea they want. Do you think anything is possible? And he says, of course, yeah, let's do it. So <laughs> for him it was like why not? And basically what we did we started to uh, play with injecting gas into water and bubble it up and the effect is amazing because you see these almost hallucinogenic uh, uh, 
effect of flames dancing on the surface of the water. And because we are combining water and fire, it's actually fairly safe. You can put your hand into it. And since your hand is always contacted with water, you never feel the, the heat of the fire. It is very spooky. And um, uh, the, actually, the fountain is out there for a long time by now. And sometimes the water is about six to eight feet tall, and the fire on top of it is an additional 12 feet. So it's a really roiling, very crazy effect and, and amazing to look at. You don't even know, like, is this really what you are looking at? Is this fire really what you're looking at? So as I said, it was as spooky and crazy it was in the beginning. Apparently, it's possible, and we've done it. That's amazing. It is so exciting. <laughs> so well, can you tell us besides, okay, we've spoken about water in general, not specific effects, but what can water do and what other effects besides fire and projections do you usually use or are part of your language? Well, what can water do? Well, it falls most of the time. That we know of, that we are sure of. Um, although, <laughs> uh, a little side note, I was in Chicago uh, choreographing a fountain over there, and Chicago is called the Windy City, so there was occasions when the water went up and it never landed, because, or maybe <laughs> it landed like five blocks away, but we weren't aware of it yet. So, yeah, no, it doesn't always fall, but our leader, our CEO, Mark Fuller, graduated from Stanford University. And his thesis project was investigating the phenomenon that you see when you open your tap and you are just closing it very, uh, just for it, it's more than just dripping, but it creates this very thin stream. And that stream is almost like a glass rod, like very thin. And he was thinking, what, how can I make this thicker? How can I make this phenomenon actually uh, presentable? And it is a phenomenon because uh, at that point, all the water molecules are moving into the same direction at the same time. And it actually has a name. It's called, and I'm not going to be able to tell what it is, but we call it the laminar flow. And it has a beautiful like laminar axial something, something name to it. Uh, Mark can recite it, I can't. And uh, he actually made his thesis project about the laminar flow and created a device that is able to generate it uh, somewhere around uh, three quarter inches of a thickness. So it's the laminar flow. And uh, as I mentioned, it can, it can be three quarter of an inch thick. And you can actually see this now in public places. Uh, the first installation was in Epcot Center in Disney in Florida. And uh, that is the very first uh, idea basically of pushing the physics to its own limits uh, of seeing like how water can be tamed, how water can actually be forced to act almost like light uh, or moving other particles are moving into the same direction in the same time. Uh, so that's one of the aspects when playing actually resulted in something uh, that was very technical and in the same time discovering a, a working with a phenomena and ending up doing something that can be used for a display. Once in a while, we run into these uh, things of witnessing just force. And, uh, you know, when you're shooting water out from a very small orifice, the, a small pressure on one end creates a huge impact on the other end. And we were thinking on what happens if you're actually not using a single point of source, but you're using a very, very narrow gap. And if this gap is actually circular and you're pushing all the water toward the center, then the water rushes in and fills itself up. So it at one point have to, uh, when, it's, when, it's, when the central point is too high 
or to uh, pool, the water has to uh, recede back. So we discovered these concentric oceanal wave generation, basically. And there are features that we call the water iris because it's like con uh, contracting and, and, and this receiving, receding uh, back and forth in rhythmic waves. And it gives you the sound of the ocean. So it's really, a, it, it's, it's a very interesting thing to look at and also very hypnotic to, to listen to it. And it's perfect in the middle of a, court, a food court in a shopping center for that regard, just to look around, just to sit around it and have your lunch while you're listening to the ocean and looking at something that is passing all the time. So there are these interesting aspects when we are just playing with uh, what water can offer us and arranging them in a way that it's interesting to look at. And that makes infinite possibilities, actually, really, doesn't it, as you, as you challenge those boundaries and how water works in different environments. Yes, and the playfulness comes from the aspect of, oh, what we haven't thought of yet, or how about uh, turning a rain curtain upside down? Obviously, it's not going to go up, but what, what will, how will the water look like when it comes out of it and and uh, small little details like that so uh, luckily we, as i mentioned we have a facility where we can told that tell the people to do something crazy and they look at you but they do so and then once in a while something great thing coming out of it so you have water and all its forms and well, everything you can do then you can add fog you can add lights you can add projection you can add fire to your fountains did, I, did you mention dice well, water in all forms, yeah. but ice, yes. <laughs> How have you used ice, I mean, in your installations? We have proposed ice so many times, but the problem is that creating ice is actually very expensive. So um, most of the time it becomes a budgetary issue, but uh, one, uh, one of our very successful initial uh, installations were in Las Vegas for the Crystal Shopping Center. Uh, where we generated these ice columns and uh, intended to carve as they grow out of the ground. And then there are many other ways to deal with ice. It's also very interesting that the people who are interested in ice are usually on the hottest place on the planet, like in the middle, <laughs> middle East. You know, like having an ice column in the middle of the desert is kind of, well, lack of a better word, interesting to look at. <laughs> nice, right? but yeah. So not, yeah. So um <laughs> But again, I mean, ice is much more expensive than fire as, as when, it, when, it, when it comes to that. So my favorite element, and we are not uh, working with it that often, is fog, because that's number one, is the most uncontrollable. But in the second, uh, on the other hand, it, it's just amazing for me that it could engulf you and the next minute it can just dissipate and, and it's nowhere. So this aspect of being in a cloud, I'm like, I, I'm not necessarily a fan of flying, but going into the clouds and coming out of the clouds when I'm on an airplane is the, my favorite moment. You know, when you are like, when you are in, the, in basically in milk and the next minute you can see the clouds from above or see the ground underneath. So I, I just love fog. That's my favorite for, for sure. Can you share with us a little bit about what is wet green? Well, one of the aspects of the company is to paying attention to the environment. One reason is that we are creating these large water features. They are very expensive. And we have to make sure that they are not giving, um, for example, when we have a drought here in California, people don't want to see fountains out there because they are associating it with wasting water. I mean, like they hardly have any water to take a shower or water their lawns, and then they see a public fountain. So we have to actually, we have fountains where we have, there are plaques educating the people that this fountain is actually reusing the water. It never gets wasted. 
and uh, uh, or for example where we have a, um, an open joint payment where a water uh, percolates back uh, to a pool below that pool is not exposed to sunlight so the evaporation is much sm uh, smaller so actually it works much better than any other fountain if you just take example of the Bellagio fountain uh, before there was the I wanted to say very quickly the name of the hotel that was there, but it doesn't matter. But it had a golf course at the place of the Bellagio Fountain. The golf course was using almost 10 times more water for irrigating the lawn than uh, what the fountain loses through, uh, through evaporation. So the perception of how water is used, the public has to be educated about how water is actually used and how water, are, how water is used in our fountain. The other uh, aspect of sustainability is uh, making sure that we don't waste energy. Uh, when fountain is animated, usually people associate it with or what they know is that you are having a pump behind the fountain and then you vary the flow uh, rate for the pump, which is basically continuous energy. You are basically putting a tremendous amount of electricity to a pump. And if each nozzle have its own pump, that's even more. So what we came up with is instead of using a pump, we use compressed air and creating these small underwater cannons, basically. They fill up by gravity. And then we just uh, launch, the, launch the air from a small chamber, launch the water uh, from a small chamber to uh, using air. So air is cheap uh, air compressors are much more eff efficient than pumps so the the fountains that use compressed air versus pumps are almost 100 times more efficient than uh, just using regular conventional pumps um, the other aspect of it is creating lights that are more efficient to light water currently the the, the lights that are available on the market are for swimming pools and over there you just want to light the bottom of your swimming pool when you are trying to light a fountain, you have to make sure that you columnate the light and, and lit the stream that you are introducing into air. Otherwise, the, air, the light just goes all around the place and you're using like 5-10% of the light that, uh, for, the, for the stream itself. So we actually designed and manufactured lights that are uh, using LED technology and they are extremely columnated. So almost 90% of the light is actually focused on the water stream that's uh, launched out instead of just wandering around the atmosphere. So these are all come together as um, making sure that uh, we are very sustainable and, and we are responsible. We're treating the environment responsibly. What would you say is your favorite thing about your job? You mentioned I'm also the director of choreography, and I think that's probably the most rewarding part. Creating a choreography and watching people reaction to it is my favorite aspect of the whole thing. My favorite example through my choreography exercise were when we were working on the Bellagio Fountain. And as soon as we finished it, the first time we were there for almost three months. Then came a small break in November or October. I think it was opened in October. Then came a small break a month. And then we went back to create Christmas shows. So by that time, I was on site for like four or five months and it was very tasking being away, for, uh, away from home for that long. And uh, I became very jaded with the fountain. It was just, you know, splish splash at that point. And I just wanted to do my job and go home. And uh, one night I was walking from my hotel room uh, to the center alcove at Bellagio. And I don't know if you're familiar with the layout of the fountain, but exiting the hotel, you're walking uh, on a very narrow sidewalk to get to the strip. 
And because the fountain is very successful, people are just lining up at the at, at the balusters and uh, basically blocking your way. And I'm having my laptop under my uh, under my arms, and I'm walking down. So there is a gentleman, and his wife is hugging him. And I'm like ten feet from them, and I see that I'm not going to be able to pass. And I'm getting closer, and I see that the woman is crying. And I'm like thinking, like, oh my god, what did he tell her? I'm like, why here? I mean, like, this is the, one of the most beautiful thing in Las, uh, Las Vegas. Like, why are you, why are you hurting her or something? And I'm like three feet from them, and I'm about to say, excuse me, can I pass? And the woman looks up to him and says, I never seen anything so beautiful in my life. And at that point, I was like, you know, I'm like, I'm frozen, like, ah. Oh. And, um, and I'm just staring at them and thinking like, oh, my God, we did that. We, we were actually the one who gave them that moment in life. It's like, I mean, like, she will remember this. She will remember her husband, like, holding on to her husband and, like, like looking at something that she, is, she appreciates so much. She doesn't even care about crying. And I was just like, wow, I said, that's amazing that, that what we are doing are, are, and like, like giving that to people just standing by basically. So yeah, watching people's reaction is probably the best thing that I had here for the last 25 years since I'm working here, I guess. I think that's a wonderful story because, you know, in any given entertainment thing, it's sometimes if you if you just take a look back at the audience that you're working for, you know, it's a reminder about what you do and why you do it, you know. And and we tend to sometimes, like you explained, get so bogged down in, in the process and bogged down with what we've got to do in our task list for today that it's nice to take a step back and, and, and appreciate it is what, what you do. It's wonderful. And the Bellagios is just such an iconic aspect of Vegas now and you know it must be a you must be so proud to have that as part of your you know legacy in terms of your work it's amazing I have to tell you I was at the company I remember Steve Wynn walking into our office and going to the conference room and the conference room being locked up for two hours while he was talking to Mark Fuller so um, it's kind of interesting to remember that the conception of that fountain and how it became and 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 looking back what's even more interesting that at that point we knew we creating something big and something that haven't been conceived before but what we didn't know is that we are creating something that eventually will become the icon of the city when people are people you know when you're talking about london you visualize the big bang or a red telephone booth when you're talking about paris you visualize the Eiffel tower and now when you're watching any movies and the movie brings in las vegas the first thing that you see is the fountain and it's like it became the icon of the city and i was like i I, I'm working for the company who did that. We did that. I like many of the shows that's on there were done by me. So it's like, you know, I mean, like it just gave you this giddy feeling. Like I'm, I did something that's part of the world now, and people on the other side of the planet are, are, are knowing where it is and what it is, and 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 it symbolizes the city now. So it's amazing. It's amazing. On the on the flip side, if there's anything that you would change about the entertainment industry and or what or how wet fits into it, what would it be? This part of entertainment is a little bit different than uh, we are on the fringe of entertainment, just like we are on the fringe of architecture. So uh, this this question can be very demanding for actors and actresses and, and people like that, but it's, it's different. I mean, one of the biggest compliments we received was from Steven Spielberg, I think, who 
I don't know if it was John Luke, but Steven Spielberg, and I'm probably putting the, the words into wrong uh, mouth, but basically said this is the best free entertainment for the public. So it's not something that you pay for. It's not entertainment that, gen- that, that generates revenue directly, although it does generate revenue indirectly. So our responsibility are a little bit different. Uh, because we are offering something that you can just freely enjoy. And because of that, the, we don't have the same influence to the, the, the entertainment of the world that other people do. So th- this question is, it's not like I would change anything. I think it is great that the, I think it's amazing that there are people who are think about fountains uh, in a way that they offer it to people without uh, charging for it. There are fountain shows around the world that you have to pay for, but the, we haven't created any of them. All of the fountains that we have created are all freely viewed by the public. We've been approached to do so, and we are happy to do it. As a matter of fact, uh, we are uh, thinking about uh, partnering up with uh, somebody and, and, and creating a show. There is nothing wrong for, with charging for it. I was just saying, like, so far we haven't, and therefore we are not... Um, part of that that group of people who are that influential uh, of, of how entertainment is viewed or what entertainment should be used for, if I can say something like that. So from where I stand, I appreciate all the people who invest in it, and I hope they're going to continue doing so. In terms of one last question, which is kind of off the cuff for me, in terms of sort of your architectural design versus entertainment design, is there a percentage of what what WET does? Like, is it 50% entertainment and 50% sort of architectural design stuff? Or is it, what's the, what's the split? Due to the fact that um, the, the, the clients are more interested in the entertainment value, the most of the contents are entertainment oriented. I would say 10, 15% of the time we've been approached by, approached by architects, uh, great architects who, who recognize the value of using water as a media uh, to enhance their architecture in an architectural way. But they are very small fountains. Uh, they are beautiful. And uh, I mean, one of my favorite fountains, unfortunately, it's no longer not, no long exit. We're here in Los Angeles in a courtyard, and it was an architectural sculpture, basically. Uh, very simple, very meditative. The strength of a fountain doesn't necessarily have to come from kinetic entertainment. It can actually be a well-conceived architectural statement. Uh, I have seen precedence to it. Uh, unfortunately, you still have to pay for it. And because it's not an entertainment piece, there are less people interested in investing in such thing. But luckily, we still come across uh, some of the, some of those uh, requests. And as I said, and the short answer is about 10, 15%. Our architectural, the rest of it is all entertainment oriented. Yeah. Do you want to share the website? So uh, what's, the, what's the name of the website for it? Oh, our website is webdesign.com, basically. Webdesign.com. Mm-hmm. Peter, thank you so much for sharing. I have learned so much today about fountains that I did not expect to learn. It's wonderful to hear about. And also your philosophy and your approach to your work is, is amazing. And, and I, I just think it's a, you know, a wonderful career path to be on. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for letting me t- talk. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. Just let us know. <laughs> <laughs> Please write our review on our podcast whenever you listen to your podcast and let your friends know about us. 
You can learn more about Theatre Art Live by visiting our website at www.theatreartlive.com. And you can also follow us on social media and leave your questions and comments on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Twitter, or YouTube. We want to thank David Sire for composing the music for our podcast and Michelle Strata, who is our sound engineer. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life podcast, where we put the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world. <laughs>